All right, welcome to January 28th on Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. It is I, your host, Joseph DiCristoforo, and the show is going through some changes. I've been working on my YouTube channel and getting that set up, but so far it's been a slow process with a lot of learning on the way. But once it is up, I'll have some fresh new content. Archive shows will appear more interesting than just an audio file. And you'll finally be able to see this tool shit I've been talking about for the last few years. I'm also changing the name. And I'm getting some good feedback on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. How about Joe's Daily Patriotic Nuggets? Or Daily Patriotic Whoppers by Joe? Or how about Joe's Daily Patriotic Pass, as somebody suggested? I don't know. I'm having a hard time making up my mind on this one. So keep the suggestions coming. And as always, thanks for listening and participating. And now let's begin the show as we customarily do with the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's everybody stand up, face the flags if we have one, put our right hands over our hearts and begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. And now on to today's headlines. The United States gives up searching for VIA+. Plus. The first Jewish judge on the Supreme Court... The Battle of Najaf and Super Bowl news about Joe Montana, the Steelers, and the Ravens. All right, so now here I go. 1988, here are the headlines. Erie Daily Times, Challenger explodes, slim hope for crew. New York Times, the shuttle explode, six in crew and high school teacher are killed 74 seconds after liftoff. Chicago Tribune, shuttle tragedy stuns nation. Back in 1976, NASA began researching on ways to make a spacecraft reusable, and the age of the space shuttle began. Fast forward to 1986, and the Challenger's 10th mission was supposed to be historic in a positive way. Kristen McAuliffe, a high school teacher from New Hampshire, would have taught at least two lessons from outer space, proving that anybody can make history in the fields of space and tech. But instead... Millions around the world watched live footage on TV of the historic departure. And right there, in front of all the hundreds of thousands of children, not to mention Krista's family, her students, and the family of the rest of the crew, watched in horror as the shuttle exploded 24,000 feet up above. NASA grounded the space shuttle program, and President Ronald Reagan along with Secretary of State William Rogers, appointed a commission of physicists, astronauts, including Neil Armstrong, and other experts. The investigation, called the Rogers Commission, blamed the accident on faulty O-rings attached to the rocket boosters. Evidently, the SEALs had become brittle the previous night, which was unusually cold for January. The shuttle would use three engines to propel the vessel forward, and the boosters would light up once the vessel centered itself and stabilized its position. But because the O-rings were weak, the flame from the boosters crept up towards the spacecraft to a fuel tank and... kablooey. The problems were not unknown, according to the commission, both by the contractor and NASA itself. There were no survivors. The Rogers Commission also discovered that the management staff for contractor Morton Theokol that had built the boosters was warned extensively by engineers about the flaws in these O-rings. One of these commission members, 
named Richard Neiman, famously publicly demonstrated the O-ring problem using a simple glass of water. NASA was also blamed for ignoring the well-documented warnings. The disaster shined a light on the space shuttle program as a whole. Too much was getting done too quickly without enough resources. Reagan would encourage the privatization of space travel as companies like Delta, Atlas, and Titan stepped up with their contributions. Space travel would continue with the launch of the Discovery in 1988, the Hubble Telescope, International Space Station, and others. 1941. FDR is warned for the first time about Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor. Until nearly a year later on December 6th, half of America was opposed to getting involved with World War II. If FDR knew about the attack, then why would he allow it? Conspiracy theorists will explain that FDR was a very rare 33rd degree mason, grandson of an opium drug dealer, has bloodlines in the Council of Foreign Relations, and the nephew of Frederick Delano, who is the original board member of the Federal Reserve, and therefore part of a world plan to create a one-world government. Randolph Hearst got credit for being the first newspaper publisher to use yellow journalism to change American public opinion on going to war with Spain at the turn of the century, so this conspiracy should not come as a surprise at all. According to historian Robert Stennett, who allegedly uncovered over a million documents through the Freedom of Information Act, that Roosevelt was repeatedly warned about an attack on Pearl Harbor. It's all in his book, Day of Deceit, The Truth About FDR and Pearl Harbor. And he's not the only one. On this day in 1941, according to AtlanticTeamConspiracy.com, Tokyo Ambassador Joseph Grew warned FDR in a letter that should the United States get pulled into the war, Pearl Harbor would be Japan's first target. Also, according to the website, on November 26th, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill had a conversation with FDR about the upcoming attack on Pearl Harbor. On December 4th, Supposedly, Australian intelligence warned FDR that Japanese are on their way, heading to Hawaii. It continues to point out that newer ships were moved out of the fleets while older ships were lined up tip to nose to make for a very convenient Japanese carpet bombing. In fact, Admiral James Richardson refused to obey FDR's demands that the fleet was lined up in such a suicidal formation and was promptly relieved of duty. He states, after meeting with FDR, quote, I came away with the impression that, despite his spoken word, the president was fully determined to put the United States into the war if Great Britain could hold out until he was re-elected, unquote. So, conspiracies. Go back to the lost city of Atlantis and will probably continue for the rest of mankind's existence. But if this one, it turns out to be true, it's just not funny. At all. And finally, in Super Bowl news now, 1990. Joe Montana does it again and wins the fourth Super Bowl for the 49ers, beating out the Broncos 55-10 to in what remains not only the most lopsided game in Super Bowl history, but the most amount of points scored by one team. Aaron Nelville sung a commanding national anthem. 1996, Dallas beats the Steelers in the Steelers' first Super Bowl defeat. Both teams were looking to tie the 49ers' Super Bowl victory with five, and this was the fifth rematch between these two. 
Dallas scored first, and the Steelers would play catch-up and almost did it in the fourth quarter, but just couldn't. Diana Ross performed the halftime show. 2001, Ray Lewis beat the Giants. Baltimore Ravens 34, New York 7. I don't even play football and Ray Lewis scares me. Three solo tackles, two assists, and four blocked passes. Lewis was all over the field terrorizing Kerry Collins all afternoon. The Backstreet Boys played the Star Spangled Banner, and the halftime highlights were brought to us by Aerosmith, NSYNC, Britney Spears, Nelly, and Mary J. Blige. And so that, my friends, is going to wrap it up for January 28th on Joe's Daily U.S. History Lesson. Once again, I'm your host, Joseph DeCristoforo. Check out the website, joesdailyushistorylesson.com, as well as the Facebook page. Let me know what you think about today's episode. For example, what about Pancho Villa? Mexican hero or American renegade? What's your take on FDR's supposed knowledge on Pearl Harbor? Whether you're a conspiracy theorist or not, hopefully at least you have an opinion. So yeah, if you have a take on that, please let me know. Love to hear it. And by the way, thank you for your service if you have. While you're on the website, you can also take a shot at some of the multiple choice quizzes. So good luck with those. I just wanted to take a moment to thank some of the people who have liked my Facebook in the last couple weeks. Rose Morales, Gloria Hopkin, Adelina Saga, Aurora Camaloza, and Beth Guys. And be sure to check out tomorrow's program. I'll talk about William McKinley, Bleeding Kansas, and the beginning of a very ugly school shooting trend. So don't miss that. And until then, thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for being great patriotic Americans. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night now.